one of our co-hosts, James Maynard, regrets his spur-of-the-moment comment during this show that the viewing of child pornography could be considered a victimless crime. He meant to say that people who view child pornography should be helped to rehabilitate, not be thrown into prison for 15 years. He would also like to affirm that viewing pornography of any kind supports the global pornography industry, which exploits children and adults and degrades sexual intimacy. He apologizes for his misstatement. Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your hosts, Todd Benton, Richard DeSanto, and yours truly, James Maynard. This week's topic, Bill Cosby, Brock Turner, Roger Ailes, Anthony Weiner. How many men must fall before we start to help them? A conversation among interrevolutionary men. The news is full of it. A man sexually victimizing someone. Good that we're helping the victims, but what about the perpetrators? Aren't they also victims of their own out-of-control sexuality? Aren't we daily flooded with examples of men raping, molesting, abusing, or sexually harassing others? Aren't tons of households struggling with sons and fathers addicted to pornography? Today we ask why. Why are so many men struggling with their sexuality? And why are we primarily focused on punishment? Why aren't more of us addressing how we can help? It's time for men to speak up and focus on healing what drives men toward sexual violence and addiction, their own and others. Todd Benton, Richard DeSanto, and James Maynard, myself, are part of the Interrevolutionary Men's Group, and today we'll be discussing men's sexual addiction and what they are doing to help. Let's stay tuned and see if we can't help our fellow men instead of disowning, punishing, or shaming them. So, Todd and Richard, would you like to introduce yourselves before we go on to the interrevolutionary news? Sure. Hi, James. Hi, Hi. Richard. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and all three of us are, are co-leaders in the uh, interrevolutionary men's group, so we'll be sharing from that perspective. So, if you'd like to call in with a question or a comment, please call us at one 866 472-5788. And now on with the interrevolutionary news. Our first item is from fightthenewdrug.org 2016 By the way, I think the new drug they're referring to is addiction to pornography. The, the title of the article is Sex Before Kissing, How 15-Year-Old Girls Are Dealing with Porn-Addicted Boys. In a new survey report entitled Don't Send Me That Pick, Participants reported that online sexual abuse and harassment were becoming a normal part of their everyday interactions. And while the behavior seemed so common, more than 80% said it was unacceptable for boyfriends to request naked images. Said a 15-year-old girl named Lucy, I want better education sex about sex for both boys and girls and information about pornography and the way it influences harmful sexual practices. And this survey, by the way, was commissioned by Plan Australia and Our Watch. Sexual bullying and harassment are part of daily life for many girls growing up as a part of this digital generation. Pornography is molding and conditioning the sexual behaviors and attitudes of boys and girls are being left without the resources to deal with these porn-saturated boys. Girls and young women describe boys pressuring them to provide acts inspired by the porn they consume routinely. Some see sex only in terms of performance, where what counts most is the boy enjoying it. 
Many girls seem cut off from their own sense of pleasure or intimacy. The main marker of a good sexual encounter is only if he enjoyed it. Girls and young women are under a lot of pressure to give boys and men a real-life embodiment of what they have watched in porn, providing their bodies as mere sex aids. Growing up in today's porn culture, girls quickly learn that they are service stations for male gratification and pleasure. When asked, how do you know a guy likes you, an eighth grade girl replied, he still wants to talk to you after you give him oral sex. A male high school student said to a girl, if you give me oral sex, I'll give you a kiss. Girls are expected to provide sex acts for tokens of affection and are coached through it by porn-taught boys. A 15-year-old girl said she didn't enjoy sex at all, but that getting it out of the way quickly was the only way her boyfriend would stop pressuring her and watch a movie. Some girls suffer physical injury from porn-inspired sexual acts, including anal sex. The director of a domestic violence center on the Gold Coast wrote to Collective Shout about the increase in porn-related injuries to girls age 14 and up, and from acts including torture. In the past few years, we have had a huge increase in intimate partner rape of women from 14 to 80 plus. The biggest common denominator is consumption of porn by the offender. With offenders not able to differentiate between fantasy and reality, believing women are up for it 24-7, ascribing to the myth that no means yes, and yes means anal, oblivious to injuries caused and never ever considering consent. We have seen a huge increase in deprivation of liberty, physical injuries, torture, drugging, filming, and sharing footage without consent. It is wrong to leave sexual formation in the hands of the global sex industry. We need, to, we need to do more to help young people stand up against warped notions of sexuality conveyed in pornography. And then one other news item from the Huffington Post, January 31st, 2013. The problematical effects of a young man's long-term involvement with porn are in fact a more general cultural concern than one might expect. According to a 2012 article in the Japan Times, looking at two 1,500-person surveys on male-female relationships, one survey conducted in 2010 found that 36.1% of Japanese males aged 16 to 19 stated that they had either no interest in or an outright aversion to having sex with another person. That's over a third of the population of late-teen males having aversion or no interest in sex with another person. These findings fly in the face of traditional wisdom that suggests young men are obsessed with having sex, according to the article. One young man said he has a sex drive, but that having sex with someone is just too much of a bother. Others claim that they prefer girls as anime, that is, animated characters, or as virtual dolls rather than the real thing. Others explain that watching too much sex on internet sites have left them with a bad taste in their mouths for human sexual contact. Many admit to extremely frequent masturbation, thereby satisfying themselves, satisfying their sexual needs all by themselves. So this kind of sets the stage for our discussion. So uh, Todd, would you like to uh, uh, carry on with the next uh, portion of the show here in terms of the questions that are being asked uh, as the topics of this show. Sure. I'd like to start with just responding to a couple of those articles. I, I read that same one, the first one, and um, it just, my heart sank when I heard it, you know, like to think of um, the, um, 
you know, both the boys and the girls, the, the pain that that is uh, representing of uh, just what they, where, they're, where they're getting their ideas from, for one. And uh, I just, it's, I, I, I read it a couple days ago and I, I just felt, I don't know, I felt, I just felt lousy, you know. And I, I started to question myself, you know, because I started using pornography when I was probably 13, 14 years old. I don't remember exactly when. Um, so I wonder if either of you want to say something about your response to those articles as well. I mean, it's one thing to give the news. It's another thing to, you know, interact with it. Yeah, I, I would like to comment. I had a really strong visceral reaction to the article. Uh, I mean, it was like almost yuck. And not in a judgmental sense, but just, oh my God. You know, pornography is that widespread, and it's having that negative effect on both young men and young women. And like you, like you, Todd, I've used pornography too, and I think I might have even been a little bit younger than 13 or 14. Um, then, you know, maybe it was 11 or 12, but in that range. So, And I've been exposed to it over the years many, many times and have used it. I'm not proud of saying that, but I have used it. And um, in in a variety of ways, and um, the thing that I was thinking as I was preparing mentally for the show was how, having grown up in the fifties in the Midwest, which is where I grew up, pornography was still it was available, but it was much more it was harder to get it, and so the increased accessibility of it online, and the fact that Young people have grown up with the Internet as just part of their culture, uh, makes that increased accessibility. It presents more of, more of a risk, I think, and I think that they, don't, that they and we may not often think about it in those terms, and I think that goes for males particularly, that you know, there's almost like, well, it's just pornography. It's a, it's, there's a rite of passage to it or something. Or, or I think we really need to look at it, all of us, men and women, as what it represents, um, because it certainly doesn't represent any kind of healthy relationship that, that's rarely, if ever, depicted in the pornography that I've seen. Usually there's lots of violence and domination and, um, you know, one person being pleasured over the other. So I think all of those things... Um, are just really negatives, and I I think that um, I don't know what to think honestly, but I I'm, I'm just kind of appalled is the word that comes to mind that it's having such a widespread and negative effect on so many people, and um, you know the accessibility is so increased. So that my my reaction is strong. I have a son who's twenty, and we've never really talked about that. I probably mm-hmm. should have had many conversations with him about that. Um, and so perhaps the show will help me address it more personally that way with him. And, and Richard, I want to say I feel much the same way you do. I feel horrified 
to learn this uh, that that is to that extent. And by the way, it doesn't matter that the the two reports that I've given so far came from other parts of the world. There's another article, a, a blog actually, in the uh, Huffington Post regarding the United States, and the very same findings are there. And I just want to mention some of the the costs. The the, the title of that uh, article is "Sexual and Relationship Dysfunction is the True Cost." of porn. That is, like you were saying, Richard, uh, the porn involvement has uh, stunted uh, young men's ability to develop and maintain sexual and emotional focus on any single individual. Mm. And that there's a struggle now to develop the required skill set to maintain healthy, romantic, sexual partnerships. And, and another problem is that since porn is so... Uh, increasingly exciting, available, and desirable, and easier than in-the-flesh romantic sexual interaction, uh, the question arises, which would a, a young man want to do? If you were 15 years old today, would you rather spend three hours masturbating to incredibly mind-blowing image after image of people having sex, all the while burning through images, those images into your fantasy life, followed by an amazing orgasm, or would you prefer to call around for a date risk multiple rejections before you get someone to agree, and then spend money on someone else's meal and entertainment, all for a quick feel and maybe something more. That is the cha- and that is the challenge facing teen boys and men generally today. Yeah. <laughs> so. It is. It is. Yeah. That, that's, I mean, I just really relate to that. I, I want to, if I can, just add something to kind of flesh out an example of what you're saying that, that I personally experienced. Um, I went to a parochial school all the way from kindergarten through high school, and I was very quiet and shy, and the school that I went to, the high school, was an all-male school. So my ability to develop social skills with girls was pretty limited, you know, and um, it was like, I don't know what to say. What do I say? How do I make small talk? Whatever. How do I? You know, I just didn't have those basic skills that I think kids today can learn when they're in a co-ed environment. Um, And so I can see how that would contribute to my own use of pornography at an age where I would have been better served by, you know, putting that stuff aside, even though it was very appealing, and trying to connect and relate more. Because when I was growing up, I didn't feel very connected to many people. I felt pretty alienated, and I don't know that that's so uncommon for teens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as men, that's still a predominant thing that we carry with us, that we're socialized to go it alone, to do it ourselves, to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. So I think all of those factors contribute to the use of pornography. And I think when we can examine those factors like we are today on this show, it makes sense that why men, women too, I guess, but we're talking mostly about men, turn to these, that turn to this outlet, you know, and it, and it, it kind of, in a way, depersonalizes and doesn't make it a question of morality or anything like that, but simply what needs are not being addressed, you know, and that pornography is meeting a need that's not really being met. Perfect. That leads us into uh, you know our first question that we want to ask that came straight out of the uh, what you read about the show today, and James, and that is why? Why are so many 
men struggling with their sexuality. So we, we've begun to answer it there with what you just said, Richard. Um, yeah. But I think one of the things that we see, it's, it's a way of dealing with our feelings. You know, many of us feel stress. We can feel depressed. Sometimes as men, we feel weak and we don't want to admit that. You know, we don't want to acknowledge that to other men or women. You know, we're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to be tough. You know, or that's the, uh, cu- you know, the cultural kind of backdrop in which men are, uh, masculinity is seen. So pornography and masturbation gives us a feeling of, of potency, gives us a feeling of power, gives us a feeling of control. So it's a, it's a whole being problem. It isn't just a sexual problem. And it gets to the core of how we feel about ourselves and how we as men learn to deal with problems. You know, we've learned, we learn to deal with them alone and that, that it becomes a, you know, a vicious circle. It's, a, it's like a feeds, one feeds the other, the aloneness, and then we masturbate and then we don't feel good about ourselves. And then we, you know, it, it feeds that anxiety and that shame. And then we just do more of it. It's, it's, it isn't, it becomes an addiction. I know I, you know, have been addicted to porn for many years. Since I was a teen, all through even when I was in relationships, I was still using porn. Sure. sure. Yeah, I, I can certainly say the same thing, you know. And I think um, I, here's what came to my mind, and this is this may seem off the topic, but I don't think it really is. Um, just for our listeners, Todd, James, and myself are all members of the interrevolution.org, and we participate actively in uh, the Interrevolutionary Men Group, which is a support group where we meet and discuss whatever issues we're faced with and try and become more genuine and authentic with each other. And I just have to say that without having the benefit of support through that group, and the relationships that I've made and the understanding that, you know, my feelings are not so unique, that I'm not so alone, that, in fact, this is common, that this notion of trying to do things alone, I wouldn't be on this phone call, you know, because for me to come on and talk about my own history like this in an area where I'm feeling, you know, some vulnerability, it, I just wouldn't wouldn't have done it. And that's part of the problem, you know, is that we don't, I think for me, it has it presented a problem over the years, is that I acted in certain ways and, and chose behavior with pornography that really made me feel terrible about myself. And yet, I had all this guilt and shame, and so I didn't talk about it with anybody. You know, I never got really cleared, was able to get rid of that or clear that. And in fact... Um, you know, I feel like I have some level of sophistication with modalities of help, meaning that, you know, I've gone to therapists and I've worked with therapists. And just until very recently, that was an area for me that was still loaded with shame. And being a part of the, so going back to the men's group, being a part of the group has really helped me with that. It's helped me free myself from oh, yeah, look what you're doing and look what you, what are your real feelings and how are you using this in a really unhealthy way? And I think that what part of what I've learned is that, you know, sexuality is really much more than a genital expression, uh, whether it's masturbation or whether it's between a man and a woman or two men, whatever it happens to be, or two women. 
that it's about relationship and it's not just about with another person but it's our relationship to the world to the universe if you will and I think our culture so promotes the sexualization of so much that it's really easy to lose focus of that yeah I I agree with that and and I just want to follow on from that and that is uh, I too went through the uh, similar project as you Richard uh, in the sense that up until the time I became involved with the interrevolution.org community, uh, some five and a half, six years ago, I, I was really addicted to porn sex. And, uh, and since being involved with these activities, this support, like you're talking about how important the support is, I've learned how to uh, be fulfilled as a more whole person. And I, I, I don't even can think of even going to porn anymore. It's just gone. It's just gone because I've traded it in, traded it in for something better, <laughs> which, you know, which, which is connection, which is true connection with other human beings. And, 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 and with that, I'm able to enjoy the love, the closeness, the harmony, the, the trust, the understanding. Uh, it's just phenomenal. I'm mean, even just cuddling with my partner, my mate. It's just so fulfilling. Uh, and, and, of course, we do have practices that we do that, that are sexual in nature, but, uh, in fact, I'll mention some of that right now. Some of the tools that we have learned uh, in, with our processes, we do what are called sacred circles, which sometimes lead to sacred union. And what this involves is you're, you're facing your partner, and you're, uh, you're, you're connecting, you're looking into each other's eyes, and you're getting a sense of, are we connected? Is there a block here? And we start trying to, to send energy uh, from the higher levels of, of consciousness that we can access to our partner. And if it feels blocked, either I will notice it or my partner will notice it. And then we'll talk about it. Then now That is true intimacy. We go into what came up today that got in the way. Or what came up? What comes up in my male conditioning, uh, having been raised a mainstream Christian with a lot of shame and guilt around sexuality, uh, performance anxiety, uh, or or just plain old uh, uh, ego judgmentalism about my partner? Uh, they, she said or did something that made me mad, and so now I don't feel like being intimate, or I feel blocked for, even if I want to be intimate. So this kind of stuff is what we get into, and son of a gun, it, then it winds up being we, we, we identify the blocks, we clear the blocks, and, and then we're off to the races with the energy flowing, and uh, I've had some of the most wonderful experiences of my life, uh, having uh, the experience of those sacred circles and, and experiencing sacred uh, union. Yeah, it's, it, it sure is different um, to take the time to connect to take take a moment to connect to our partner um and or if we don't have a partner to connect to ourselves you know it's just it's so foreign it was so foreign when i started doing it um you know we have so many internalized beliefs that we learned growing up uh, similar to you i was raised i went to 3 years of uh, catholic school and, you know, there's also what we saw between our parents. 
Um, and the beliefs that got handed down to us were often the rationalizations for the unhealthy people around us. So we're all dysfunctional, and I think that's the part that we fail to see. Like we fail to see so many of these sexual activities that we're engaged with are not healthy. They don't lead to healthy connection. They don't lead to healthy relating. And um, so, you know, I'm thinking about even my sexual tastes and how they were shaped by porn. That's one of the things that really stood out for me um, in the uh, in that article that you read, James, is, you know, the, the sexual taste, like what boys are into and what they like and what their, you know, what their fantasies are are being shaped by these, um, by the, the pornography that they're watching. I mean, unfortunately for me, I've, I haven't had fantasies of, you know, domination or tying someone up or, you know, uh, hurting them in any way. But boy, I, I do see it. I mean, uh, you know, it's there when you, when you look at pornography, it's all these different, um, kind of, uh, violent and uh, unhealthy things. Well, I'll have to confess that a lot of my uh, fantasies associated with porn were not of a violent nature at all, but simply, uh, oh, what an adventure this could be, or what an adventure that could be. Uh, encountering a, a naked woman on the beach, and we, we get it on. Or, uh, <laughs> or somebody's uh, putting groceries into the back of their station wagon, and she's bending over, and oh, what a fantasy that could be, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> you know? So yes. it's just amazing, and it, it kind of dehumanizes, and, and, and it's objectification of the other person of the women yes. or, or men if you're gay, uh, uh, objectification instead of real connection with the, the fullness, the wholeness of who that person is, what they can bring to you and what you can bring to them. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the other questions that we wanted to get into is why are we primarily focused on punishment? I mean, you know, getting getting to the, the heart of this, it's like, why aren't we helping these men that are having these situations? We want to we wanna castigate them. We want to say, oh, look at how crazy these men are. You know, instead of seeing how we're like that, you know, we're just, we're just good at hiding it. <laughs> so what, what do you think? Why are we fo- uh, primarily focused on punishment? Well, I think it's part of gr- uh, growing up in a Judeo-Christian culture. Where uh, we're, we're taught that uh, uh, sex is sinful, that uh, anything, any any hint of sex out, sex outside of marriage, has been traditionally taught as a sin, as wrong, and uh, punishable, mm-hmm. and so that's carried over into our penal system, our criminal justice system, and and uh, and so we tend to support punishing sex offenders. Uh, I know of a guy who uh, was just watching uh, uh, child porn uh, in the privacy of his own room, uh, but uh, he, he got caught and he got reported, and he, he's now uh, spending 15 years in a federal penitentiary for a crime uh, that is something that's considered a crime that uh, really had no victims. Mm-hmm. Except for the fact that uh, it, 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 it's not fair to the children uh, being uh, photographed and put up there like that, and, and we don't want to support that. But isn't that interesting how punitive we can be, that even that simple act can result in a huge amount of punishment in this wow. society? Wow. Yeah, I, I, 
I mean, I understand and agree with what James is saying, how um, it just seems to me that a lot in our culture we're focused on making someone pay for something that they did, um, yeah. you know, as opposed to saying, well, what does this behavior mean? What What's going on within this person that is causing him or her to act this way? And, you know, so when we... And it scares us, I think, because... Honestly, you know, I, here's an example. Several weeks ago, I might be off on the time sequence, but there was a young man who was a Stanford student and was a star athlete, and he ended up going out, getting drunk and using drugs and sexually violated and assaulted a, a woman who was unconscious, you know, as he came out of some area that he was in. And it... it stirred up a lot of controversy because the, the victim reported what it was like to have that experience and to be so dehumanized. Um, and because of, I, I'm not really not clear on why, but it sounded, from what I read, it, it sounded like the, the he, he was given a, a really light sentence, probation. Yeah, he got out three months after a six-month sentence. He got out already right. in three months. Yes, right. Brock Turner. And, and, yeah. and, there, and there was... So I'm not saying they should have locked him up for 15 years, but I just wonder, somehow that seems out of balance with what he did. And, you know, if there does need to be some kind of um, confinement component, then how how can that be coupled with helping this young man recognize where all of this behavior is coming from and what he can do about it? Because now he has to register for the rest of his life as a sex offender. And the impact on that, you know, on his future will be significant, I'm sure. So um, I, I don't know what more to say, but those, those things just popped into my head. You know, there's, and I, there, I there's know something, it, yeah, there's something I'd like to add to that because I'm, I'm a former practicing attorney. And, and having okay. been in the legal system, I'd like to say something. But why don't you go ahead and finish? No, go ahead, James. I think this is the right time for you to contribute Yes. We have a notion in our justice, our sense of justice, that the punishment must fit the crime. <laughs> and so that Stanford student committed a crime that has long-lasting effects, right? Mm-hmm. And so, or, or any other, say a rapist, somebody has raped somebody, that, that, that was a rapist actually, or, or any kind of situation of, that's a, a criminal offense. So the punishment fitting the crime means the more you hurt somebody, the more you should be punished. And we ignore the fact with that Stanford student or any other people that maybe they need therapy, maybe they need help like you're talking about. Uh, this guy was uh, just drunk and uh, he was high on drugs. And so uh, it seems to me that uh, punishment isn't the answer. I, I, I believe some degree of confinement to protect society is, is important. And then have, having it um, perhaps open-ended as to how long this person needs to be treated for the illness that, the, that I mean, look at the conditioning this, the, the people are getting with all the pornography. He acted out of pornographic fantasy. Mm-hmm. Right. Here's, a, here's a woman lying supine. Oh, I'm going to have at her. You know, just like in the porn movies. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so we, part of what we need to do is nip this problem all the way back to the, the exposure of pornography to uh, the children and, and also the sense, the notions of what, what is justice? 
You know, it, it isn't the punishment should fit the crime, but it's rather what's motivating, what's driving this person that this person that this person needs help with. And I know uh, all of us are parents, and I know Todd, you still have a couple of young children, and mm-hmm. so you're constantly faced with the question of uh, how can I uh, deal with children who have misbehaved, uh, short of the exacting a severe punishment. Um, and so we need to shift our whole paradigm, don't we? Uh, yeah. to, shift, to shift from uh, blame, judgment, shame, punishment to, okay, let's explore what's going on and let's, let's uh, arrive at something that maybe the person needs to make retribution to the person they victimized <laughs> and, and maybe they need to make amends. Those, by the way, are also some of the tools we work with in our Interrevolutionary Men's Group. Uh, and so uh, those are some of the thoughts I'd like to share. Yeah, I I have similar thoughts as well, um, that we're not focusing on how we can help them heal. You know, we're focusing on it as some kind of aberration, like like we're in shock, but we're not really looking at the person. We're not relating to that person. We're, I think this gets to the larger um, conversation that you touched on about why we go towards, um, why we're struggling with our sexuality is that lack of feeling of connection. You know, as you were saying earlier, Richard, our, our sexuality is our connection to the universe, and it can be experienced in many ways. And if we don't feel that connection, if we don't feel that connection to other people, um, right. if we don't feel that connection to, um, you know, the, the world around us, we don't feel a connection to nature. If we feel alone, then we're, you know, we're, we're kind of desperate. And... Uh, so I think why we're f- primarily focused on punishment is it's, you know, it's, a, it's a byproduct of a larger issue, which is that we do not feel connected. We, feel, we don't feel our oneness. We feel separate. We feel afraid. You know, and everything, I think the things around it uh, influence it. You know, the, this election that's coming up and the fear that people have about you know, this person being elected or that person being elected, you know, we're on edge as it is so and and we don't feel our connection so it's with that kind of larger context that this that our sexuality and the ways we act out in our sexuality you know are just a a kind of a manifestation of that lack of feeling of connection yeah yeah that I'd also like to talk about the, the role of uh, male conditioning uh, uh, of the ego. Like this Stanford student, okay, he was raised to compete. He was a star mm-hmm. athlete and he competed. So yeah. his conditioning uh, along that line and also academically getting into Stanford was, I've got to win. I've got to compete and I've got to win. And how many of us, when we approach sexuality, we want to win. We want to manipulate the situation with a woman or a man. Uh, to where we get what we want. We get what we think we need. And if we do that, we scored. We, yes. got, we, we got a win. <laughs> and and, and uh, too bad for the other person. Or, or maybe we give the, 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 the other person just enough so we can get what we want. And we manipulate it that way. Yeah. So, yeah. so again, it comes down to this. It's all about me. It's about, I'm the center of my universe. I'm my ego. Uh, and, uh, and as a result, the other person uh, is the impact. We lose sight of the impact of our actions on the other person. Yes. 
as contrasted with, you know, if we're in this space of universal connection, if we're feeling our connection with each other, which I'm trying to do right here with you all right now, <laughs> you know, if, if we're in that space of, of that connection, it helps us to feel relaxed and it helps us to feel nurtured so that our genitals and our sexuality aren't cut off from us and kept fragmented. So we feel, and so when we feel that connection, we feel more well and we don't have to use sexuality as a desperate way to get our needs met. So I think you're right on, James, and that's, um, you know, a big uh, thing that we need to flip. Like we need to, if we focus on connection and our feeling of connection and nurturing our connection with each other and with the world, I think that can help alleviate some of those things that lead us to these kinds of behaviors. Um, And that's, as we've been saying, you know, we're, we're doing unleashing the power of kids in the inner revolution as well. We're trying to help them get away from getting their value from competing and winning and instead getting their value from service, from caring, from doing things that are supportive and helpful to others. Because our synergy with, with everyone and with all is what makes us feel whole. So when, you know, if we can support children and we can support men and we can support everyone to feel whole, we, we're, it's our belief that that will help to, uh, and or um, kind of eliminate the need for some of these ways that, that we're acting out. Oh, there's something else I'd like to add, mm-hmm. uh, and that is the whole dehumanization aspect. In terms of punishment, once we label a person a criminal, we feel justified in being mean and cruel and abusive toward that person because they deserved it. Yeah. Lynch them. Or, or at these Trump rallies, when they're, they're talking about Hillary and her email problems, a whole bunch of men are, 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 and women are chanting, uh, what's it called? Lock her up in jail. Yeah. Lock her up. Why? Yeah. Because she's, she's a wrongdoer. If she's a wrongdoer, she deserves to be punished. Lock her up. And, and this, this carries over generally uh, to, to what you're talking about, Todd, too, in terms of how much we separate from the other pe- person, persons and from ourselves by labeling them in a certain way or to having a conditioned perspective. Like watching porn, we're able to uh, shift from connecting to the person as a real live human being that has value to a means to our gratification. And when we start seeing uh, women that way as whores or whatever uh, or as porn star in our fantasy or the the means to our fulfillment, then we're dehumanizing, we're separating, and and then uh, it gets worse. So Yeah. So I have to admit I've done that with, you know, even with my partner. I – I I see how those um, you know those fantasies or those what I've seen in porn as influence my uh, the way I've related to her and uh, so it's a real eye opening thing and I'm I'm really working to change that within myself and be um, more um, I mean I definitely have a sexual drive and I'm really working to. Uh, relate with my wife <laughs> and partner with her and uh, do it in a way that's healthy and co-creative. Yeah, so am I. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am too. It, it's, it's challenging because of all the things we're talking about, though. I, I was thinking of my own family, my nuclear family, and how I was raised. And um, 
you know, there wasn't the kind, there was never talked about sexuality. Um, I didn't see my parents being very affectionate with each other. My dad was always in charge. My mom deferred on most of the decisions to him. Um, you know, so even though I grew up at a time that was different and there were different values and those values made sense to me, that's not what my early conditioning was. And I, I think I've only come to realize in the last several years that that early conditioning has really played, a, you know, a very significant role on how I felt about myself, how I behaved, what I thought, and that all of those patterns that I um, made into patterns were not necessarily really helpful, you know, to me. They didn't, uh, pornography and my use of it, and, you know, it's it's been for decades. I mean, to be honest, it's not, recently it has not been, but I, I have over a period of decades, used it addictively, just like you said, Todd. And I think it damaged, I know it damaged uh, more than one relationship because rather than me trying to connect with my partner or spouse, whoever it happened to be at the time, there was still this preoccupation with that and trying to get my needs so that met. And so, you know, how do you, you don't really... I didn't really relate. That was like the goal, like we were talking about earlier, to have some kind of sexual experience. And that is empty after a while, which I think propels that cycle to continue. So, um, Yeah, I'd like to add something to that. Um, sure, go as, ahead. As men, we don't tend to think of relationships as regenerative that's a really good point. Yeah. You know, and that's with both with men and with women, men need relationships as much as women do. And it may have to do with hormones or, and, or may, or it may have to do with socialization, but either way you can get regeneration from connection. But in a way for us um, as men, it's shameful because we're supposed to be able to do it alone. You know, I mean, we, I don't like to admit that I need that I need sex from my wife. I, I you know, I mean, I it ends up ma- and I don't like to let her, her know or let anyone know that I feel weak, that I feel, you know, like um it's the word I'm looking for, like um vulnerable, I, vulnerable. Vulner- yes. Vulnerable? Vulnerable. Yeah. I'd rather go and just handle it myself. Um, I'm I'm trying to speak in past tense here, but I've had those very feelings in my relationship, and you know I'm 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 learning how to deal with them and be honest when I feel the desire to go toward my wife and have a uh, a sa- sacred sexual encounter. Um, but it isn't easy. There are many times in our relationship I just said, ah, forget it. It's not worth it. I'll just go, you know, take care of myself. And that's with someone who's willing to do it, you know, willing to work with me, willing to talk to me. So it shows us how uh, kind of embedded in our psyche this, um, the seeming need to do it alone, to go it alone, to handle it alone, to be, you know, quiet, not say anything about it, you know, hide, hide. Yeah, and I, I think as men, we're particularly conditioned that way. 
Um, you know, I mean, I can look back at my own history and see how there was many things I could have talked about to people and not to say that there weren't people that would have listened because I think there were, mm-hmm. but that's not what I believed was the right thing to do, you know, and I didn't act that way. Um, so, and I, and I think as men, and I, I found, I, I think for me, that's been the value of being part of the interrevolutionary men's group, as well as the interrevolutionary interrevolution.org is that I'm, I'm with others. You know, I can't make these changes what I've discovered. Um, and I'm sure lots of other people know this, so this isn't anything new or groundbreaking, but you know, I may want to change some things about myself, but alone, I don't have the power or the capability or the resources to do that. And it reminds me of, uh, addiction, um, you know, I think pornography would be referred to as a process addiction, but other addictions that involve alcohol or some other kind of drug. You know, 12-step programs have been around for, since the 30s and have mm-hmm. helped many, many people um, recover and have healthy lives and let go of whatever their addiction was. And so I think that's part of our group not that it's designed to deal with addiction per se, but I think it, it, we begin to break down the, that, what's that embedded thinking. That, yes, we don't need to talk about this. Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be my own silo here with this, and I'm just going to deal with it, and I'm not going to let anybody in on what's really going on with me. That, that vulnerability that you talked about, but it creates, what I've experienced is a lot more uh, sense of, being more comfortable in the world, being more comfortable with men, not being afraid of men. And um, all of those things, I think, then, can, then if we can do that as men, then certainly we can begin to do that differently with our spouses or our, par- our partners. And so I, I just see all of this as, you know, part of the whole um, that we want to work on and, and be better people, simply. Yeah. Well, that leads us to another question, which is we're kind of answering the question, but why aren't more of us addressing how we can help? Uh, I think we're addressing how we can help, but why aren't more people addressing it? I think denial is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. I think we tend to minimize the nature of the problem. I mean, once I started really uh, getting alerted to this with that article, uh, that news item that I've just read at the beginning of the show, Mm -hmm. I says, oh, my God, I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, so, there's, so there's a minimization, and but there's a denial too. It's like, oh well, uh, it's not that big a problem. We read it in the newspaper and see on the news these sex offenders like Bill Cosby and so on, and so well, that's not me, and uh, that's them, and they're just isolated individuals. And I'm sure society's uh, um, organs of justice will take care of it. And meanwhile, I'll just uh, keep uh, watching my porn in the privacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well I, and I think. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Richard. Well, I was going to say I think there is still a lot of shame around it, and that I think, yeah, um, for a variety of reasons—cultural and religious—and um, 
you know, there's other factors that are not coming to mind too. But so I think, you know, it's like, who wants to admit that? Who wants to acknowledge that, that I have these tendencies too, or that I'm going to participate in this stuff that really, you know, doesn't, it, it dehumanizes women and, you know, it, it promotes separation and um, violence and just uh, isolation, you know. Uh, so I think, and I think we're not, I, I think as a society, we're, we do this separation of, okay, yeah, well, that's like James was just saying, well, that's somebody out there doing something, but it's not me. And we don't connect the part that we play in however we acted out in our own lives and that that either supports something or it doesn't support it. Um, and, and I think it's really, it's very challenging to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I don't like this aspect of myself or I don't like this part of what I'm doing. And, um, you know, and so how do I get, how do I change it? What do I do about it? And it, it's easier to, I don't know if easier is the right word, but that's, that's a big challenge, I think. And um, that's why, for me, being part of a group has been so helpful, um, as, I, as I've alluded to, be, you know, a couple times already. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think part of why uh, more of us aren't addressing how we can help, I, I love what you said, Richard, um, is, you know, we would have to, uh, well, there's a couple things I wanted to say. One, we would have to, ad, you know, admit we have the problem sure. and, um, and we'd have to stop the behavior. You know, like, I don't know that it's, it feels good. I don't know that I want to stop doing the thing exactly. I've been doing. Exactly. Yeah. The other thing that, the other thought that came up, what, you know, when you started sharing what I, I, I felt guided to share was, um, you know, there are, if I look at my own experience, you know, there are many addiction, different kinds of addictions that people have, right? So some people are addicted to food and they overeat and that's how they deal with their anxiety. You know, um, sexuality and porn, you, it's something that you can keep hidden, you know, like I, I, and I, and I could be self-righteous because I, you know, I'm taking care of my food. I don't have these other addictions. So I look like I've got it together. You know, I don't look like I'm, you know, not, but I, everyone is, has dysfunctions. And I think that's the thing that we need to own (laughs) is, um, is that. So, uh, I'd like to uh, share here that I think that we have some resources uh, in our world that can help. Uh, one yes. is a 12-step recovery uh, organization that's uh, nationwide and worldwide, uh, SAA, uh, Sex, Sex Addicts Anonymous. And this is where a support group, uh, you can find out on the Internet where the, the meetings are, and you can go get support for overcoming the addiction. Uh, there's another one, uh, the the organization that I got the original news item from, um, they uh, they offer a free program. Their, their website is fightthenewdrug.org. And uh, they're, they're, they have a program called Fortify, I think, which uh, helps a person monitor themselves day to day to notice when they have a relapse and uh, when they're uh, able to stay on top of it and so on. And then thirdly, I just want to mention that 
uh, our own organization has the support groups uh, support system like we've been talking about. Uh, one of which, by the way, is a couples group, which uh, uh, helps couples to uh, relate to each other in a deeper, more intimate way. Uh, not to mention the fact that our inter-revolutionary men's group uh, does meet uh, every two weeks on a Saturday morning. And so one could get more information about that if any of the men out there would like to inquire about being on that call. And a person can be anywhere in the world, and it's a video conference call. Uh, so Perfect. Go to, let me go to the website go, for that. Yeah, I was going to give the three URLs that you just gave, and then we sure. can, you can Great. tell us what's coming up next week. Very so good. the first one, Sex Addicts Anonymous, is saa-recovery.org. Again, saa-recovery.org. And then the second one is fightthenewdrug.org. And finally, theinnerrevolution.org. James, what are we doing next week? Okay, great. Uh, Next week, our topic is don't think your kids are safe from the impact of domestic violence just because there's none in your home. Meet a school counselor and a teacher who will clue us in. Often people feel that the concept of oneness is just an abstract theory. Well, it's not. In fact, children from troubled families significantly decrease their peers' reading and math test scores and significantly increase misbehavior by others in the classroom. That means that you could be the perfect parent and yet your kids are being hurt by what's happening to their peers. And that's a lot of kids. Researchers estimate that between 10 and 20% of children in the U.S. are exposed to domestic violence annually, and that could be violence toward them or parental violence toward one another. We can't escape. Domestic violence knows no boundaries of race, class, or religion, and all kids are at risk. So let's welcome Brett Welch, a school counselor, and Vicki Fahed, a teacher, who are doing something about it. Tune in and find out how you can help your school and your kids as well. And now for a final word. Todd, Richard, anything you'd like to say before, as we say goodbye to yeah, our I, Yeah, I, I'm so pleased, James, that you and Todd, that you both gave out those resources that people can take advantage of because, you know, it's easy to get bogged down in the difficulty and challenges of, of this, but there there is help available, and it takes... You know, it takes help. We all need help with various things, issues, and those are great resources to be able to deliver. And the other thing I want to say is I'm, I'm really grateful that I got to be on the program today and could contribute what I did. And I'm hopeful that the people that are listening related in some way, shape, or form to what I said. And if it's helpful to you, that's great. And, um, you know, I hope you reach out for whatever help you may need. Thanks. Great. And now we need to say goodbye. So goodbye, everybody. Have a great week, and we hope to see you next time.